Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the 8th chapter of the book of Nehemiah. We're back in Nehemiah, and by the looks of things, probably, uh, let me see, there's 13 chapters, I don't know, three, four months we should get done with this. Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. By the way, the book of the law of Moses is not the entire Old Testament of the first five books. It's called the Pentateuch or the Torah. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They're talking about those, those five books specifically. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square which is in front of the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites explained the law of the, to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book from the law of God, translating to give sense so that they could understand the reading. Let's pray. Father, may this word be of sense to the people. Father, may we understand that your book is more important than anything else in this world, of anything that we could touch, Lord. It is your word to us. Lord, this is your word. You spoke it to people as they wrote It is infallible and errant. It is our standard for, for living. In it we find life eternal. In it we find our hope. In it we find a faith to live by. Now, Father, give us a, a purpose of heart to hear and understand what is in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. In Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 15, we read, So the wall was completed on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. It took them 52 days to, to complete this wall. In our calendars, the Hebrew month of Elul would be from the middle of August 
to about the middle of September. Their, their month, Elos, started about the middle of August, and it, it would end in the middle of September. Uh, the Hebrew calendar is not like our calendar. So the 25th of the month would make it about somewhere the first or second week of September that the, that the, law, that the wall was completed. So when the wall was completed, the people had come together to rejoice in its completion of that task. They were going to rejoice the fact that the, that wall that had taken 52 days to build had come to completion. So there is something here for the church to consider. And sometimes we, we, we fail to recognize this, is that when we assume a task, when you serve on a committee, whatever that committee might be, uh, whatever, when you complete your job, when that committee has done what it's supposed to do, sometimes we feel that we have, that we can, that we can just meet together and say, our, our work is done, and now it is time for us to take it easy and relax because there's nothing left for us to do. Uh, the job has been complete. That is a horrible idea. Folks, the work may be done. Your serviceability to God has proven itself fruitful, perhaps. But, might I remind you that your work is not done. Here, at that point, your sanctification with the Lord has now begun to fill that gap. You see, when your job is done, whatever it might be, whatever God has called you to do, and you think that I can just sit back and, and relax at this point, you must realize, because now at chapter 8 of Nehemiah, we, we begin the second part. The book has two parts to it. The first part was our serviceability to God. The second part is our sanctification with God or before God. That we need to be a sanctified people. Your work is now to be a sanctified person before God. Our, our work should always, should always point toward sanctification. It is in sanctification that we find ourselves being set apart for God, for holiness, for worship, for giving of ourselves to give honor and glory and praise to God. That's what we do in sanctification. Our, the, the person is set aside. You set yourself aside, not set aside yourself from the church. You set yourself aside for God, for God to minister to you, that you become more yielded to Him, so that you become more holy, more worshipful, more praiseful, more, more thankful for Him, for what He has done in and through you. So when we come to chapter 8 of Nehemiah, we see that it says in verse 2, the first day of the seventh month. That is not our seventh month. That would be the first day of the Hebrew month of Tishri, which would be our September, October. About the middle of September, the month of Tishri in the Jewish calendar begins, and it runs through the middle of our October. In our calendar, that would be about the middle of September. So somewhere in the middle of September, 
would be the first day of the seventh month for them. Tishri, the first day of Tishri. The first day of Tishri also is the beginning of the Feast of Trumpets. This is the day where the, when the men of Israel are to prepare themselves for the most sacred month of the year. Because in Tishri, there are three great feasts held. It is the only month that has three feasts together. There is the Feast of Trumpets, which that Feast of Trumpets, and you're familiar with this Feast of Trumpets, it is held every year, every year, and it is called Rosh Hashanah, or it would be the Jewish New Year. It's the first, first day of Tishri. The second is the Day of Atonement. It is the tenth day of Tishri. And the Day of Atonement is when the priest would go in, when the high priest would go in, and he would make sacrifice for himself and sacrifice for the people, and he would go into the Holy of Holies once a year. It was on the Day of Atonement. And the third great feast held in the month of Tishri is on the 15th to the 22nd of Tishri, which would be our middle of October or so in our calendar. And it is the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And that is to remind Israel of their deliverance from Egypt. So all of these are held in that one month. It just so happened that wall was completed in the same month that all these feasts are held. Three, There are six feast days held, not counting the Sabbath day, but six feast days held in the Jewish calendar, in, that are in the Jewish calendar. But this month, the month of Tishri, had those three feasts, plus they completed the wall. So if you will put this map on the screen, I'm going to show you what happened. In the, in the first day of Tishri, uh, that is the wall, essentially, that Nehemiah had built. It is a whole lot smaller than what you would think of the Jerusalem wall would be in the time of, let's say, uh, when the Romans, uh, when King Herod would be in charge and all that. But if you can look on the right-hand side, do you see that letter O and there's an O and an M? Do you see that? I don't know if you can see that or not, but that O and the M on the right-hand side where the wall begins to get bigger, it gets narrow and then gets bigger, right at the corner where it gets narrow and then gets, becomes wide, you see that, that buttress work over there. It is there that that water gate is, is, was supposedly. There is, there is a question mark. If you look at a, at a map, there's a question mark as to where the water gate was at, but that is the traditional side of where the water gate would be, right where that O was at. Where that where it becomes it's narrow and gets wide again. So they're they're not for sure whether the whether the, the Jews met on the inside of the wall or the outside of the wall, because there's a debate about that. But it's right there at that spot where that O was at, that the people met. And it wasn't only just men who gathered, it was men and women, and all the children who had the ability to hear and understand the Word of God. Church is for everybody. The men and the women and all the children who had the, the ability to understand. They came together, man, woman, boy, and girl, to hear the Word of God. And it says in verse 3, he read from early morning until midday. Folks, that worship service took six hours. 
And the people stood six hours. Nah, we won't go six hours, but you are seated. Verse 4 says, Ezra the scribe, Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium which they had made for this purpose. This is the first mention of a pulpit in Scripture. My friends, hear this. We have somehow managed to fundamentally and systematically eliminate the need for a pulpit in many of our churches today. I know that uh, I might be a little old-fashioned, But in my thinking, it is, it is essential. It's where the Word of God is read. It's where prayers are said. It has a long precedent of history. Ezra's pulpit was fashioned for the reading and, pro- and proclamation of the Word of God. It was fashioned for prayer and for the people to act upon that Word of God. And consider... Consider this, when you enter into the sanctuary of a church and you see a pulpit, you say or think to yourself, that's where the Word of God is preached. When you see that pulpit, you know that that pulpit says, this is where God's Word is preached and explained. An application is made from this pulpit. Sorry to say that in many of our churches today, there is no pulpit. And it becomes a guess as to where the preacher will stand if he stands anywhere for any amount of time. He may be dancing up. I have no idea. But you wonder where he will stand, as well as in many instances, if the word will even be preached. That's just my personal position. You know, that's not the word of God. That's past personal position. I think it is essential that we, that we stand erect behind the, word of the, the pulpit that God has allowed us to have, and you proclaim with clarity and with passion the truth of God's Word. Ezra had 13 others who stood on the platform with him. Whether they were scribes or priests, we don't know. It doesn't say. But let's say that they were both scribes and priests. 13 others who stood on a platform with him. There were also 13 Levites who would then explain the word of God to the people. And those Levites would be with the people in the crowd. And they would explain. Because there were thousands and thousands of people. There's no microphone system. But as that word was, as the word was read, the Levites would explain it, interpret it to the people, so that the people had understanding, that there'd be clarity of thought that goes with the clarity of speech, that goes with the clarity of God's word. And Ezra began his reading by blessing the Lord in verse 6. It was a blessing of thanksgiving. And perhaps something similar to what King David did in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Let me read this for you. This is King David's blessing. But I, I, could, see, I could see Ezra reading something just like this. 
It says in, in, uh, in uh, 1 Chronicles 29, beginning at verse, verse 10, So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Folks, that is a blessing. What a way to begin a service, isn't it? When Ezra finished his blessing to the Lord, the people standing up said, Amen! Amen! Because it touched their hearts. Folks, listen. Sanctification and renewal and revival was happening all through the city of Jerusalem. Verse 6 says, They lifted their hands, they bowed down, they worshiped the Lord, and they buried their faces toward the ground. Now, folks, that is a Baptocostal revival service. The priests and the scribes stood on a platform with Ezra, and they affirmed, by their presence, they affirmed the, the, the truth and veracity of God's Word. The Levites stood in the midst of the people, and they interpreted the Word. The Holy Spirit was working in the midst of the people because they were shouting amen and amen to the truth of God's Word. The Holy Spirit was illuminating the people, and the people yield themselves for sanctification. Folks, that's what we need in a church today. But sometimes we come in stiff-necked. Not just here, but everywhere. Sometimes we come in stiff-necked, and we resist the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Church should be shouting amen and amen. But many of our churches lie empty today. 11%, 11%, of our people on a given Sunday worship. 11% of 330 million people, 11% worship. People are not gathering together. I've got some sorrowful news to bring to you today. Many today do not preach the Word of God. Even though we read that Paul urges young Timothy, he says, Timothy, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. He also tells Timothy in the the third verse of that same book, he says, for the time will come. Folks, it's already here. The time will come. When they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. We're there. Sorry to say. Sorry to say, but you are the minority. You are the remnant. You are outdated and irrelevant according to the standards of this world. You're not the majority. This is not the moral majority. We're a minority. 
We are the minority. To many, it's not the good news that they proclaim and preach and teach, but the feel-good news. Look, the Word of God isn't about how you can manage your lifestyle so you can make it through the day. That's what we're wanting. We want to come to church and say, I got to make it through this day. God's not interested in how we're going to make it through the day. God's plan is this. It's not for you to get through the day, but for you to get to the kingdom of God. We're worried about 24 hours, and God's talking about an eternity. We're worried about one, one grain of sand in all the beaches of the world. And God says, but all the rest of the sand is yours. But we worry about that one speck of sand, that one day that we, can, that we can somehow manage to get ourselves through and get out of all the tangled things we got ourselves into the day previous. Life management. Please listen and take to heart, take heed what the Bible tells us about the day when the Word of God will become silent. Do you know the Bible says that there's a day coming when the Word of God will become silent? You'll not hear it anymore. Do you realize that society does not care for the Word of God? Do you think that the world cares if we have this ability to meet and come together and worship? Do you think the world cares that, that you happen to believe and I happen to believe that this is the truth of God? Do they care? Do you care that this is the Word of God? Would you care if it were no longer preached in your church? Would you care? Listen to what Amos has to say. In the book of Amos, in chapter 8, the prophet Amos says, let me get to Amos over him in the wrong book. Behold, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread, nor a thirst for water, but rather for the hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea, and from north even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of God, but they will not find it. It's gone. My friends, we need to hear God's Word. We need to hear the Gospel. We need to hear, people need to hear the good news concerning Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We can do programs, we can do promotions, we can do whatever. We can have all kinds of things going on in the church. But unless there is a preaching and the teaching of the Word of God, unless we're telling people about the good news concerning Jesus Christ, that is, listen, that is not what the church does, is just to have a program, to have a program, to have an event, just to have an event. The reason for the existence of the church is to tell people about the good news concerning Jesus Christ, period. 
If we drop that, we quit being the church. We hear, we hear what the gospel is. Paul, in writing to the church of Corinth, the church of Corinth, who had so many troubles, so many faults, but Paul writing to the church of Corinth to encourage them to pick up the banner of Christ, he says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 3 and 4, for I delivered to you, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. I think as I just was writing this out, if I could pick a day in history. that I could be a part of an assembly of God's people, it would be at this time with Nehemiah and Ezra and the people of Jerusalem. At that day as they stood by the water gate and they heard the word of God and that great revival had taken place and those people who had just gone through years of captivity in, in Babylon The, the, the scars of captivity, the humiliation and the shame of being held in bondage now have found themselves to be free in God. And they stood with, this, with, the, with the scribe Ezra and he read the law of God and they raised their hands and they bowed themselves before God and says, Amen! Amen! Because God had done a work in their lives. Has God done a work in your life? Has God done a work in your life? Can you stand with the people and say amen and amen? God has done a work in my life. We're going to have a time of response. Folks, if God has not done a work in your life, if Jesus Christ is not real to you, Jesus who died for your sins, who bore the Father's wrath, who was buried, who was raised in. If he, listen, if that, if that Christ has not done a work in your life today, today, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, today I ask you to step forward and say, Jesus became my Lord and Savior this day.